1130, it's time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. Thank you so much for joining us here on a uh, rainy and overcast sort of day in central Nebraska, at least for the meantime. Paul will be in to talk to us more about that here in a few minutes. But first, our roundtable discussion, Jason Jorgensen, Bob Brogan's back. We've got Clay Patton, all uh, Susan Littlefield, all checking in to see what's going on here in the next couple hours. And uh, we will begin with uh, the farm department and see what uh, they have in store for us. Susan Littlefield has that. Scott, this is what's happening on the midday from the farm team. We're going to hear from Undersecretary Greg Ibaugh as we talk about those seed packets that are arriving. And again, if you do receive these packets, put it in a Ziploc bag, seeds, container, all, and contact the Department of Agriculture. Then Alex will step in at 1245 as we'll hear from UNL Ag Economist Jim Jansen. He discusses the driving factor that influences changes in our land values. Then wrapping it up here at 117, an exclusive as the American Sheep Industry Association, with the help of Congress, is questioning JBS and their acquisition of a second largest lamb processing plant in the United States. We'll have that and more on the midday from the farm team. Thank you, Susan. I appreciate it. Uh, We turn it over to sports. And, Jason, we had uh, last year about this time all of the magazines were coming out and uh, glowing reports that Nebraska was going to be in the in the playoffs and all kinds of great stuff and uh, Phil Steele who is one of the early ones that come out was one of those guys who had us picked very high how about this year uh, he's still burning upset over that <laughs> As in, he even said so in his magazine he said the Huskers made him look bad uh, even though we don't know if there will be a season what kind of season is he still needs to make money, and they yep. put his preseason uh, magazine out. He has the Huskers picked fifth in the Big Ten West. Mm. Oof. If that were to happen, there'd be some folks not happy you know, in Husker Nation. I didn't think about this, but for those guys in Athlons and those guys that do those things, it had to be really hard without uh, without spring games. Oh, yeah. You know, I, that's where they got most of their fodder. Just take a dart and throw it at the board and then write about it. That's the truth. Uh, Speaking of Big Ten football, uh, the schedule is expected to be out next week with front-loaded divisional games and three to five open dates, which would make sense. I read an article in the past week on the Omaha World Herald with Tom Chattel, and he thought they should factor in some bye weeks, and I thought that was a good idea. Sure. Because you don't know what's going to happen from week to week, if you'll have someone test positive, what kind of a team you'd be able to have. So if you kind of work work in some extra weeks there, who knows? They're trying. Man, <laughs> They're it, trying. It, just mentally tough for these guys, players and coaches, to get ready for a season. They just don't know if it's going to exist. And one thing we do know is the NBA comes back comes tonight. Comes back today. So inclined to watch that. Uh, they've kept themselves in a bubble and doubleheader games tonight as they try to get things started. I didn't realize with their health uh, protocols, they can't even take showers in the same arena. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow, that bubble's got to be something. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Let's turn it over. Bob Brogan's back, and uh, stocks uh, a little mixed on his arrival. Stocks kind of taking a little bit of a dive in trading as the market seesaw week snapped sharply back downward, and uh, Treasury uh, yields also fell. The Dow Jones Industrial Average falling more than 500 points in the early going. Also, the U.S. economy shrank at a dizzying rate in the April-June quarter. Those are some of the stories that we're uh, keeping track of. Good to have you back, Bob. 
Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. we got Paul Perkins in here and uh, still some rain going around the state and pretty much cloudy conditions all across the Cornhusker State and northern Kansas to go with it. Yeah, exactly. Maybe just some sunshine as you head towards Omaha and mm-hmm. Fremont, but otherwise uh, locked into some clouds and some areas that got that missed out on the rain last night finally getting some right now but a lot of this rain is along of south of i-80 from about ogallala on over to the york area otherwise that to the north of the interstate that rain continues to be a little more sparse as you head towards northeastern areas of nebraska and northern areas of nebraska it was weird to see these showers moving southwest (laughs) it was so odd Exactly, yeah, because right now we have an area of low pressure. The reason for these rains moving to the southwest, if you like, pull up a radar loop mm-hmm. and start seeing these rains move that way, it's because an area of low pressure is centered right now pretty much over south- southeast Kansas, and that rotation, I guess you would say it's counterclockwise rotation mm-hmm. with an area of low pressure, that is pushing those rains to the southwest, and that's why we are seeing these rains, instead of moving to the east or southeast, moving to the southwest. Well, that's different, for sure. <laughs> but right now, most of our t- Temperatures, if you're long and south of the interstate in the mid to upper 60s, some low and mid 70s as you head to uh, central areas of Nebraska to northeast Nebraska. Still as warm as 81 right now in the Omaha area. But most of the rain and thunderstorm activity continues to be along and south of I-80 from Ogallala all the way to the York area. Then maybe some sprinkles of rain to the north of North Platte. This activity once again sliding towards the south and the southwest. We found some pretty hefty rainfall totals in many locations. One to three inch amounts, very common. Up to 3.4 inches of rain has been reported in the Cambridge area with the most recent rainfall amount since about 6 o'clock. Now, those thunderstorms remain possible as low pressure slides from south central Kansas into Arkansas. Storms will continue to be very scattered and gradually in from north to south later this evening. For areas along the north of I-80, any additional rain amounts will be light. And an additional inch, an additional half inch of rain is possible as you head into north central and northeast Kansas and nearby parts of southeast Nebraska where a flash flood watch is posted through this evening. Now, northeast winds will keep our temperatures 10 to 15 degrees cooler than average. High pressure builds in for some clearing skies tonight and sunshine tomorrow. Now, tomorrow and Saturday's temperatures actually going to be the warmest of the next seven days with highs slightly cooler than usual. And then we'll see another cool down for tomorrow through Wednesday. Mostly dry weather for tomorrow through Wednesday with the ridge of high pressure sending up to our west and blocking that main storm track. There will be some small chances of off and on thunderstorms with some disturbances sliding southeast, and that's on the backside of some low pressure to our east. Now, a northwest flow will return our temperatures to about 10 degrees cooler than average for tomorrow into Wednesday. The long-term forecast does stay nice. Seasonal to slightly cooler than normal temperatures are likely for Nebraska and Kansas for Tuesday through August 12th. The overall rain forecast for Tuesday through August 12th calls for near-normal to slightly above-normal rainfall in Nebraska and Kansas. In the regional drought monitor that's out today, Nebraska only improved a percentage point to 43% drought-free. Abnormal dryness to moderate drought continues along the north of I-80 from Aurora to North Platte and for all of western Nebraska. Mostly moderate drought is found along the north of the interstate in eastern Nebraska. There are some pockets of severe drought around Sydney and the northwest Nebraska panhandle. Thanks to some recent rains, Kansas improved a whopping 17 percentage points to 57% drought-free. So now 
Uh, Nebraska is drier than Kansas currently. Two rows of counties in far western Kansas experiencing abnormal dryness to severe drought. It's also abnormally dry over the southeast part of Kansas and along the Oklahoma border from Liberal to Medicine Lodge. Weather factors affecting the markets include rain focusing on the eastern Midwest and only light rain for a dry part of Russia. The southern and eastern Midwest will see moderate to heavy rain the next five days. Some flooding is likely, but the rain an overall benefit for filling corn and pod-setting soybeans. The northwestern Midwest had varying amounts of rain yesterday with minimal easing of drought in western Iowa. In the Black Sea region through Central Asia, dryness continues to stress crops in the Volga region of Russia. Showers will spread across eastern areas tomorrow through Sunday. Any showers would be welcome for the corn, but it could be the only rain for another week. Rain chance is much better across the western third of that region. All right, so uh looks like a relatively mild couple days coming up here. And yeah. Unlike the last couple weekends, this one won't be quite so hot. Exactly. Yeah, it will be uh, much cooler as we head towards the tail end of the weekend. Uh, uh, slightly cooler than usual, going to be the warmest we're going to see over the next two days coming up tomorrow and Saturday. And then another cool down and some off and on rain chances. But the rain chances a lot less as we head towards next week. Okay. All right. Very good. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather tab, krbn.com. At least 27 states have put out warnings about seed packets from China. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. During the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Summer Business Meeting, Undersecretary for Agriculture for Marketing and Regulatory Programs, Greg Ibon, spoke on a variety of issues, including these seed packets. So there has been quite a bit of concern about the packets of seed that people have been receiving in their mail. Uh, the fact that they come from China has, uh, I think, heightened that concern uh, because uh, people are suspicious about whether or not there's ill intent involved with the mailing of those seeds. We have sanitary requirements in place at our borders to protect our crops and our livestock from pests and diseases. And these seeds are coming in and not in compliance with those requirements. So APHIS is going to continue to work to make sure that uh, we can reach out to China as a government, as well as the individual companies that are mailing them, but also working with Amazon and DHL and UPS and Federal Express uh, to make them aware, more aware of what our requirements are and figure out how we can work together to make sure what they're bringing in as shipments are compliant. And as the Kansas Department of Agriculture noted, some of the packages are labeled as jewelry, not seeds. So the fact that they are mislabeled is uh, something that I think that's where uh, the companies, Amazon, FedEx, UPS, uh, DHL, where they can take a role and be responsible for verifying that what, what's in those shipments are accurately portrayed. So Undersecretary Eibaugh explained the next steps of what happens once these seeds are turned over to the local Department of Agriculture. Of course, he's encouraging you to not throw them in the garbage, but 
call your Department of Ags and turn them over. APHIS is going to work with states to collect the packets. We're going to run some tests on them to see if they have plant pathogens. We're also going to identify those seeds to understand whether they're harmless seeds or whether they're something to be concerned about just to make us aware of, of what's going on. This is part of uh, what they call a basting scam. And so the company will mail seeds uh, to try to boost their ratings on Amazon and then they will fill out phony uh, uh, reviews of those packets of seed to try to get a higher rating to drive business. And so it's also a, a something to, for Amazon to think about is whether or not their, their rating policy helps encourage this type of, of behavior. And he says it does cause for some nervousness. Of course. Anytime uh, 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 meat or uh, plant material comes in that doesn't comply with our import regulations, uh, that's, that's cause for concern, and we need to figure out how we address that. And yes, the Beagle Brigade is at the borders and at the international airports, but they can't catch everything, and these packages are mislabeled as jewelry. And it's randomized based on risk, and so that's why it's important that these packages be labeled as to content correctly. And the Undersecretary says that helps them identify the risk level. Comments with Undersecretary Greg Eyeball. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Time for us to check in on sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks, Brandon. Well, even though the season is in doubt due to the pandemic, Phil Steele has released his preseason Big Ten picks. The veteran prognosticator has Nebraska selected to finish just fifth in this year's Big Ten West Division. Wisconsin is a favorite, followed by Iowa. Ohio State is his pick to win the East. Now, the Big Ten still hopes to be able to play a 10-game conference-only schedule this fall, but has not released that new schedule to this point. Fall camp, however, is still scheduled to begin on August 10th. Major League Baseball is debating whether to play shorter doubleheaders this season. Players Association is surveying its members and deciding whether to propose two seven-inning games or one nine-inning game followed by one seven-inning contest. MLB is expected to decide by Saturday whether to go with shorter doubleheaders. Philadelphia and Toronto are scheduled to play a doubleheader that day. The NBA season resumes tonight after a 20-week break because of the pandemic. In a reopening night doubleheader inside the bubble at Walt Disney World, New Orleans will take on Utah before a matchup of the top two teams in the Western Conference as the Lakers take on the Clippers. Now, there won't be any fans in attendance, and health and safety protocols are in place that don't even allow teams to shower in the arena after games. With eight games remaining before the playoffs, Teams that have clinched bursts are focused on securing the best possible playoff seed. And the Big West Conference is postponing all fall sports through the end of the calendar year. The conference will determine if conducting fall sports in the spring would actually be feasible. Now, the decision does not impact basketball, which is still scheduled to begin on November 10th. The Division I Conference has 11 members with all of those but one based in California. That is a look at sports. For more, you can check that out anytime at krvn.com.
All right. Thanks a lot, Jason. single vehicle crash occurred around 115 this morning on the northwestern edge of the Holdridge city limits. A male driver died from injuries received in the crash. There were no other occupants in the vehicle. The Phelps County Sheriff's Office is investigating. Nebraska State Patrol assisted at the scene. No other information is being made available until release is obtained from the Phelps County attorney. This year's Buffalo Bill Rodeo features 11 of the top 15 national contestants in each event. Rodeo chairperson Jack Moore says it's like a national finals lineup. However, Moore says those who are planning on attending the rodeo should purchase their tickets sooner than later. We are operating under a seating restriction this year by the state uh, health guidelines. So I'd hate to see anybody on Friday or Saturday night wanting to get a ticket out front and we, we can't get it to them. So I'd encourage everyone to go online and get their tickets for the nights they want. The rodeo will be held on August 5th through the 8th at Wild West Arena in North Platte. Tickets can be purchased at NebraskaLandDays.com. A proposal to outlaw a common trimester abortion procedure has hit a snag in the Nebraska legislature, leaving its prospects unclear. Opponents use a filibuster to keep the measure from coming to a vote Wednesday after they allotted three hours of debate. Supporters now have to show that they have a 33-vote supermajority of support necessary to overcome the filibuster at a later date. If they don't, the bill will effectively die this session. The measure appears to have support from a majority of the legislature's 49 senators. The abortion bill would ban dilation and evacuation abortions in the second trimester. The Kansas State High School Activities Association is allowing all fall high school sport competitions in Kansas to move forward as scheduled despite the coronavirus pandemic. The Lawrence Journal World reports that the association's executive board narrowly defeated a motion this week that would have delayed the start of fall competitions. Kansas health officials reported Wednesday that 14 more people have died of the coronavirus since Monday bringing the Kansas death toll to 349. The Kansas Department of Health and Environment also said the number of reported cases rose to more than 26,000 in Kansas. That's an increase of nearly 700 new cases since Monday. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. What are the driving factors that influence changes in land values for the state of Nebraska? Well, in a recent UNL Ag Economics webinar, Ag Economist Jim Jansen shared an overview of the 2020 farm real estate survey and rental rates, ultimately leading to those driving factors. But first, Jim explained how the survey was conducted. Uh, Each year, we survey land industry professionals. It includes agricultural bankers, professional farm and ranch management companies, as well as agricultural appraisers. So from their results, um, from their information, we summarize results twice each year. The preliminary estimates come out in March. The preliminary results have details related to land values as well as cash rental rates. And cash rental rates in early March is kind of a key piece of information a lot of folks are looking for. Final report has additional details on actual sales, things like who's buying land, who's selling land, how land purchases being financed, cash, mortgage, contract for deed. 
And Jim said, when it comes to asking the question, what is my land worth? There are two main factors. One, the earning potential of your asset. Uh, Land uh, experienced an exceptional period starting in the late 2000s, coupled with the 2012 drought. We set some of the highest real prices we've seen in recent history for the value of the commodities produced on our land, whether corn, soybeans, or even livestock. Since then, things have declined some. The challenges faced by many uh, agricultural producers when it comes to cash flowing a budget relates to the value of what we're producing. And I think uh, we see a fairly sharp decline, and this is a marketing year average price of corn in Nebraska. And I believe this was a marketing year price average I took, um, I want to say in May or June, which compared to the marketing year price average estimates of March is down, down maybe 20, 30, 40 cents, depending on your terminal and your basis levels. With that being said, uh, many landowners are facing challenges when it comes to uh, property taxes. Uh, One phenomenon that people have expressed to me over this period of time when we've seen declining land values was how come or how can my property taxes continue to increase if the market value of land is declining? The thing to note, there's two different things there. When we talk about the market value of an asset, we ask the question, we had a willing buyer, willing seller, uh, property or the car or whatever asset you had, is being sold that it wasn't being sold to to an undue burden uh, somebody going broke or someone having to sell an asset because of divorce or something if that's the case when we look at um, the market value it's at a point in time we estimate the market value as of february 1 2020 compared to february 1st 2019 in the state of nebraska which if you're joining us from another state today Every state in the union has slightly different laws, and some are significantly different than Nebraska when it comes to our neighboring ag states, Iowa, South Dakota, Minnesota, Kansas, Missouri. Uh, When it comes to the assessed value of land in Nebraska, it's based off a three-year median ag land value. And what I mean by that is each fall, county assessors across the state are going to look back over the last three years of sales. Split your county up, depending on how big it is. Uh, there's different ways of doing it, but the main thing is, is they look at, you know, say if you're in the northern part of the county, they might look at all irrigated cropland sales over the last three years. Well, when you look back across time, even if we're on the downhill slide here, we still may be pulling from a period of time where land values are considerably higher than maybe where they were last year and. Who knows, maybe land values might continue to be lower uh, coming into next year if the COVID keeps pulling down the value of a lot of the commodities we produce. So the thing I'm going to emphasize here is the assessed value is based off a three-year median Eglund value to determine what the assessment should be. And Jim said another question he receives frequently. Why or how can land values, machinery prices, home prices, how can all these things maintain the level of values that they have? Uh, It relates to what does it cost to finance a purchase? An example, if you're in the market to buy a different car or a new car, and you've got a set budget of so many hundred a month to dedicate towards that loan, can you afford to pay more or less for that asset if you're having to pay, say, 0.9 versus 9% interest? 
well, if it's an even payment for a set period of time, then you're going to have a set budget of so much a month. You can probably afford to pay more when you have a lower interest rate on that loan that you intend to acquire. So that being said, uh, we look and I acknowledge these are not the interest rates that land loans are currently getting, but the 10-year treasury yield rate, uh, that is a indication of long-term debt. You know, what direction is long-term debt loans going, home loans, land loans, whatever it might be. Every year I do this, I keep saying, you know, I can't go any lower. Well, the one thing that has infused stability into some of the asset values, or at least it has not expedited the decline to, to a decline that would be even further than what we might have anticipated could have happened, is money is still fairly inexpensive. And alternative forms of investment, the rate of return on them may not be the highest. So earning potential of land coupled with interest rates are two of the driving factors in our state that lead to changes in land values. And once again, I can't emphasize enough, we are estimating the market value in our report. Again, we've been hearing from Jim Jansen. He's an ag economist at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, talking about the driving factors that influence changes in land values for Nebraska. You can find the full report of the 2020 Farm Real Estate Survey and more information about historic land values and cash rental rates and more at agecon.unl.edu backslash real estate. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. With the business report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks are tumbling and trading on Wall Street as the market seesaw week snapped sharply back downward. The major U.S. indexes were sharply lower, with the Dow Jones Industrial Average falling more than 500 points in the early going. Treasury yields also fell in a sign of increased caution, while gold ticked down from its record level. The losses come after reports showed that layoffs are continuing at their stubborn pace across the country and that the U.S. economy contracted at a nearly 33% annual rate in the spring, the worst quarter on record. The Commerce Department's estimate of the second quarter decline in the gross domestic product, the total output of goods and services, marked the sharpest such drop on records dating to 1947. More than 1.4 million laid-off Americans applied for unemployment benefits last week. Further evidence of the devastation the coronavirus outbreak has unleashed on the U.S. economy. The continuing wave of job cuts is occurring against the backdrop of a spike in virus cases that has led many states to halt plans to reopen businesses and has caused millions of consumers to delay any return to traveling, shopping, and other normal economic activity. Those trends have forced many businesses to cut jobs or at least delay hiring. A technology research firm says Huawei has overtaken Samsung to become the world's biggest smartphone seller as its home market in China emerged from the coronavirus pandemic better off than other economies. Analysts say that Huawei shipped 55.8 million devices in the second quarter of 2020. While the figure was down 5% compared with a year ago, it was a smaller decline than rival Samsung, which saw smartphone sales slide 30% to 53.7 million. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. A concern this week for sheep producers and where to get lambs processed. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. 
We're talking with Chase Adams with the American Sheep Industry Association. Mountain States was a lamb processing facility in Colorado. They have since gone into bankruptcy and are trying to be acquired by JBS. And that's caused concerns for sheep producers. Rosen Plant is a cooperative of about 145 uh, family sheep farmers and ranchers uh, that have been in business for about 15 years now. Uh, they have the uh, the plant here in uh, in Greeley, Colorado, and uh, unfortunately, the COVID situation uh, and the loss of food service really took a hit, and it came at a terrible, terrible time for the lamb industry. Uh, coming in mid March, we were of course gearing up for the Easter and Passover season. That is one of the busiest seasons for the U.S. lamb industry, and so to uh, lose food service uh, at that point in time was was absolutely devastating and uh, resulted in the uh, in the bankruptcy of what is our, our second largest packing facility here in the United States. Well, that in itself would cause a lot of concern to the sheep industry, but what is also concerning is how fast this bankruptcy seems to be moving along. You know, it really has gone very quickly. The uh, The bankruptcy process, as I say, uh, they filed for bankruptcy in, uh, in mid-March, and here we are in... Uh, in late July, and uh, the judge uh, last week ordered that uh, ordered the uh, the liquidation of that of that facility, and ordered that it be sold to uh, uh, to JBS. JBS was uh, the original owner of that facility. Ironically, they have a beef plant across the street in, in Greeley, and so that has created a lot of concern because uh, while we don't know what JBS intends for that property, uh, we we do know very clearly that JBS does not intend to operate a, a lamb packing facility. And many are assuming that JBS isn't going to be processing lamb. Yeah, that is our concern. JBS has certainly given no indication that they uh, intend to continue lamb processing. Uh, we did have a, a potential buyer in uh, in the line that uh, was intent on uh, continuing lamb processing of that facility, and we had asked the court early on to uh, uh, to make sure that uh, you know to consider really all all factors as they as they looked at what the uh, disposition of this property should be. And Adams explains how JBS went about acquiring the facility. There was some back taxes. In this situation, uh, the bankruptcy judge decided that uh, the JBS made the best offer. Uh, there were some, some outside factors. Uh, the JBS uh, beef plant and the uh, and the, the Mountain States Rosen Land plant do share a wastewater facility, so uh, there was uh, there was certainly some some outside consideration uh, there as well. Um, but really, you know, the most important part for the uh, the American sheep industry is we've got to make sure that we've got the, the packing capacity here to meet consumer demand. Uh, we've got to make sure that we have the packing capacity here to uh, uh, to keep the, the supply of lamb going. So uh, that's really what uh, that's what our angle is. And now we're starting to see members of Congress get involved. You know, big hats off to uh, Senator Mike Lee of Utah. Really took the uh, really took the bull by the horns here and uh, and led an effort to uh, ask the Department of Justice to do an investigation into uh, into the competitiveness in the sheep industry and to take a look at uh, how this sale uh, will or would I guess as we're we're not quite there yet but how this sale uh, will uh, affect affect the industry and the competitiveness of the industry. I also uh, have to thank uh, Senator Danes and uh, Representative Gianforte for being early supporters of that as well. We will have more coming up on this with Chase Adams in the days to come. I'm Susan Littlefield, the World Radio Network. Huh.
With John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. And John, kind of almost a risk-off feeling here to the markets coming into this afternoon, even despite the fact we saw some really strong sales from China. What's the word in Chicago? Well, I, yeah, I think you said that it's negativity really is across the board here uh, as far as sentiment goes. Um, outside markets are stealing heavy. There's still that uncertainty with um, you know the whole fiscal stimulus that, that's going to be happening shortly, or we'll get an update on what the Senate's going to do, and then the President and in the House, you know, we're still a little bit limbo on that. And so into the close here, things really turned around. Um, not so much in corn, unfortunately, but in the case of soybeans, rallied. In the case of cotton, it's just a market I know folks don't care about much, but it's, it's, that popped almost two cents just in the last you know hour of trading. So something's afoot here. I uh, I wouldn't be shocked with Friday, you know, being a, it being a Friday with news releases, and we still haven't heard a whole lot on the cares that or the cares, and then what is the one in the Senate? They're in that an acronym for something, the Heels Act. I wonder how much they paid those people to talk about that, but. Um, regardless, we're going to learn about that here, and I think you're going to see prices move a little bit. The gold markets have been on fire, um, and not just from upside price action, like just volatility. And we're starting to see that roll in the stock market here with stocks coming off their lows. So uh, I'd be prepared for a lot, of, a lot of back and forth here. And with corn where it is, might be an opportunity to put a low in here if, uh, if things will get drastic and then you know trade higher in the day tomorrow. With grains at these bargain bin prices, are we going to continue to see China making these large record size purchases like we have today? Yeah, I mean that's what we want to see. You know, I mean that's that is it's the value is painted in the market in that aspect, and that they're the user. You know, they're big users of it. They're also big producers of corn, and you know you're dealing with a black box. So you know to, to see a, a big purchase, um, you know, announced today. I mean, corn is not something we're used to seeing with these sales. So that'll put another week up. And we're going to close quickly on where the USDA expectations are. So uh, maybe we don't see that reduction in, in demand in the coming USDA. And like I said, I don't think a bottom is, up, is, is far away here coming in. And again, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. Do learn more at danielsagmarketing.com. But remember, trading futures and options involves risk of loss. It may not be suitable for all investors to consider these risks before investing. Going to the settlements here, we do see corn up with some mild gains to unchanged. We also saw soybeans come back around strong here at the close of the trade, up a quarter to almost three. Over in the wheat, though, they're going to end both lower with Kansas City wheat leading the way lower, five and a half to six cents lower. And that's going to do it for our midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, you can go to podcasts on krvn.com.